This is the Save the Damn Score podcast with your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome back, everybody, to the Save the Damn Score podcast here on SaveTheDamnScore.com. Or I guess if you're listening on iTunes, it could be on iTunes. However you're listening, we certainly appreciate it. And right now, our newest podcast guest is Neil Rule. He is the coordinator of broadcasting for Oakland University in Michigan. He also handles their social media. He's the play-by-play voice of the Oakland Golden Grizzlies. He's the fill-in for the Detroit Pistons. And Neil, how are you doing today? Logan, I'm good, man. I'm I'm a big fan of the show. Uh, I always listen faithfully whenever you throw those links out on social media i always uh, i always give it a listen you're one of the the literally tens of people that are loyal listeners so far <laughs> well but, i never uh, miss it uh, i certainly appreciate that you know i want to get right into the content of kind of I mean, you were on my list of people i knew that i eventually wanted to have on this podcast but kind of maybe sped up the process with the recent events that happened at the Horizon League tournament. Let, let me make sure I get this backstory right. Matt Menzel, the announcer for the University of Green Bay, was ejected for what the officials took as him showing them up, and you got thrown in just out of nowhere to, to fill in for Mr. Menzel. It only lasted 30 seconds to a minute. Everything got figured out and and got back into its proper place but just take us through what happened at that at that place in time uh well i i know matt a little bit and obviously when you work in the same league your, your paths cross twice a year uh once when we go there once when they come here so you know you get to know the guys a little bit you always chat with them and see how things are going with their team so i, I knew matt a little bit and i, I know matt he's a hands talker he, he's one of those guys that talks with his hands which you can get away with on radio uh obviously but he's a guy that talks with his hands a lot so he had the unfortunate scenario of his broadcast spot was directly behind the officials uh in the the scorekeeper so when the official would come over to give the foul number there was a a 50 50 foul that could have went either way it went against green bay so matt was describing the action and he had his hands kind of extended about shoulder height and they were spread apart and the official went to report the foul and saw matt over the shoulder of the scorekeeper and stopped the game immediately and said, you know, who is this guy? Where's the game manager? Who is this guy? I want this guy out of here. Stop the game. He completely stopped the game. And, and it was unfortunate for Valpo because they had a little bit of momentum going. And Bryce Drew actually asked Pat Adams, the official, said, hey, you know, can we get the game going again? And he stopped the game and said he wanted him out of there. And they started to pick play back up again. During the run of play, security had come over to remove Matt from <laughs> from the broadcast location, and I was prepping for our game. We played after them. Uh, Oakland was playing against Wright State, so I was just kind of hanging out. I had all my radio equipment set up. We were ready to rock, and I saw them removing Matt, and they were actually in a commercial break at the time. So I said, Matt, do you want me to jump over and and call the game? And it's not a big deal. You know, being in the Horizon League, I've I've called two games apiece uh, for both teams. So I just grabbed the roster that I had handy, uh, sitting there on the table, jumped over and put the headset on while they were escorting Matt to the uh, back or wherever they ended up taking him. 
I jumped, put the headset on, and the producer's counting back. He said, we're back in five seconds, and said, okay, here we go. And uh, just said who I was, said that I was filling in. I said the damn score and uh, <laughs> moved on. Where were you located in the gym? You said you were kind of setting up your broadcast. Were you just a little bit farther down the table? Were you in right. the first row of the yeah. stands? Where were you at? Yeah, I was I was actually about two tables down from Matt. You know, they had permanent spots for each team to set up their broadcast. So, like I said, I was just there taking in the action. It was the second half. I don't remember the exact time frame that was left in the game. Uh, but I was just kind of taking in the action, and I saw everything going on. The fans saw everything that was going on because – Pat Adams had made a big ordeal about it, was loud about it. Like I said, he stopped the game about it. And uh, the fans had noticed what was going on, and all eyes were, were on this situation in the whole arena. You know, you're talking about an arena that had 7,000 people in it, and everyone's paying attention to, to this situation. So I was a couple tables down. I saw him getting escorted out, and I did what any, you know, what any other league broadcaster I think would do for any other league broadcaster in that situation. I'll take the headset. I'll go do the game. You know, I – I've done I've done more with less. Let's just say it like that. You, you know, you're you're a guy. You've done small college games before, so some of the times you don't have all that information readily available at your fingertips that you might typically have. I didn't have it then, but uh, that's that's not a big deal. I called a couple of those games, so I was I was ready to rock pretty much off memory. So when you sat down, did you think you were going to have to finish the game, or did you have confidence that they would work him out and get it back, get him back in where he belonged? No, I, I thought I was calling the rest of the game. I thought that, you know, it was going to be my show the rest of the way, and I started calling the game as such. I just kind of dove into the the process of the game and started calling it. And Logan, I was ready to go, man. I mean, it's like I said, I've, I've called these these teams games before. I was I was ready to go. I was fully prepared for it. I mean, it, it took a second to to get my bearings. And, and you know how us broadcasters, I don't want to say that we're divas sometimes, but we're divas sometimes, and. It was weird having a different kind of headset on than the headset I'm accustomed to. and I wasn't familiar with how to work the levels on his board and everything like that, so I was a little uncomfortable in that environment, but you get past that and move on. So that kind of leads right into something that I go back and forth with other broadcasters about dealing with officials who aren't very... We'll just say I don't know if this official was very good at his job or not, but when there's horrible, horrible officiating to the point where it is the story of the broadcast. How do you handle how critical you are and how you deliver that critical, the critical words about them? Well, it's pretty simple for me, Logan, because I just stick to facts. Uh, I have a phrase that I always, I always say during a broadcast. If I see a call a certain way, and a lot of times we have the benefit of seeing a replay on a monitor or up on the board in the arena or whatever, and I interpret it, uh, you know, some type of way. I will always use my phrase. If anybody disagrees with my assessment, then I'd be happy to sit down and break tape with them. And I would. Um, that's that's kind of my go-to phrase that I use. And yeah, that's how I feel about it. I, I'd be more than happy to sit down and, and break tape about it. And anybody that wants to question my assessment of it, I'd be glad to sit there and and, and look at it and look at it with them. So I mean. You know, that's that's the phrase that I use. I, and when I'm critical of, of officiating and stuff like that, I just try to stick to facts. I just try to, to stick to, to what I see as the truth. And, you know, as, as, long as, you're, as long as you're sticking to the truth, I think that you won't have a problem. How do you feel like the official in this case was in the right or was it just a miscommunication? 
What exactly do you think happened with him and his interpretation of what Matt Menzel was doing? I, I don't. I can't speak to that. Uh, I, I'm not going to say that I know what was going through. No one listens to this mind. podcast. You can say whatever you want. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to speak to what was going through his mind. But Logan, I will say this. Really, <laughs> you're wrapped up in this game where everything's on the line. It's a Horizon League semifinal game with the number one seed in the tournament, Valpo, playing against Green Bay, with a, a trip to the Horizon League championship and nationally televised ESPN game hanging in the balance. Your full attention and your full concentration should be about what's going on between those lines. Who cares what somebody's doing in the row behind the scores table? I mean, if you want to go all official on it and, and you want to make it a big deal, I suppose you can. But I would just be of the opinion, if, if you're an official, you deal, with, you deal with criticism all the time. Whenever you blow the whistle half the people watching or half the people that are or all the people that are in the arena, there's going to be a, a good segment of people that don't agree with what you said. You have to go past that. You, you have to be mentally stronger than that. And that's, that's, that was my take on the situation. I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not going to propose to know what was going through Pat Adams' mind, but I will say this. If it were me, again, I'm sticking to facts. If it were me, I believe in the call I made. I've called hundreds of games as an official. I have confidence in my ability that I got it right, so I would just move on and that I'm not going to care what a radio broadcaster says about a foul call that I made. I know that I was right. Okay, as we are talking about officials right now, there's actually one in my studio here waving and getting ready to you know, eject me from my own podcast. And, Neil, I'm going to need you to take over here for about 30 seconds to a minute as I go straighten things out. <laughs> no problem, Logan, and I'm happy, happy to be here on SayTheDamnScore.com, the podcast. This is Logan Anderson's podcast, and he does a really good job. And I'm grateful right now to actually have the microphone and be able to talk about this through the phone, but into the microphone, I guess, uh, no less. But uh, this really is a great podcast, and and I'm glad that you all are taking some time to listen. I would encourage you to tell your friends to give it a listen, too, because as much as it is about broadcasting and things like that, there are a lot of tips. and, And this is a podcast that I've learned a lot from where I've been able to pick the brains of a play-by-play guy for the Indiana Pacers, a Division One college basketball guy such as myself. If you're going to get Oh, okay, I'm field, back now. Um, what, what did I miss? We got everything straightened out. Did everything I, go I think, okay in my absence? Uh, yeah, I, I think you're going to want to keep that as a promotional tool uh, for your podcast because we just talked about how great the podcast was and uh, why everybody should listen. Oh, boy. Can't believe it, but okay. So starting off in the industry, you have a unique path that you took to the place where you're at. You know, what was your initial break getting into the business? And just kind of take us through your career path and how you got to the point you're at at this exact moment. Yeah, it, it's, a, it, it's a tale. There's, there's no doubt about that. I initially started in doing sports media. I initially started as a writer covering the Arena Football League. Uh, Detroit had a team that played at the Palace called the Detroit Fury. And I read a story in Sports Illustrated that they had a website where fans covered the team. And so I emailed the people on the website and said, hey, do you have anybody that covers Detroit? This was before uh, I had actually majored in journalism. I was actually going to a community college at the time. And they said, no, we don't. Would you like to do it? I said, heck yeah, I'd like to do it. I'm a big fan. I do like arena football. So, And, you know, you know, a big, being a big college football fan, you get to know a lot of the guys that were in the league. So I started doing that and uh, did that for two years, just working for free. 
covering the games for, for this website and uh, work myself up to the point where my rapport uh, got good enough with the team where they actually started traveling me with them uh, to road games. And I would write for the website, and I would do segments on the pregame show and the postgame show and, and during halftime as well. So that went well, but then the Arena League folded, and uh, I actually got to, to like the, the writing part of it. So when I went, I transferred from the community college to Oakland University, where I went to school, I majored in journalism, and I started writing for the Detroit Free Press. It was actually a job I got through a connection with the Free Press writer that covered the Arena League. And so I started covering high school sports and worked my way up to the WNBA. It was a big, you know, basically a fill-in guy for anything that was going on. If somebody could make it, they would send me. And things were going good, but right about the time I was getting ready to graduate, you know, newspapers took the downturn that they took. And so I started in student radio at Oakland because yeah, I was let go from the free press, and I was just calling, doing play-by-play and had a sports talk radio show on student radio, just uh, not knowing really what I was doing, but uh, having fun and the Oakland coaching staff and the Oakland administration had heard me on tape because at the time that was the audio they used for the web stream of the games. And they thought that I did a decent enough job. And Mario Mpemba was the uh, commercial radio play-by-play guy for Oakland at the time who does the Detroit Tigers for a long time, also did the Anaheim Angels as well. And he's really become my mentor. And more importantly than that, one of my good friends in this business. And uh, he was looking for a partner at the time and the administration suggested me and Mario asked for a tape. I sent him a tape. He said, yeah, I'll work with this guy. And him and I were together for four years. I did color, and he did play-by-play, and we had a blast. And it was really the most fun I'll probably ever have in this business looking back at it. And uh, he, he's, a, he's a great guy. He really is. And as the Tigers got good and became perennial World Series contenders and, and that type of stuff, his calendar grew shorter and shorter, and eventually he had to step away because the World Series goes, man, almost to Thanksgiving now, it seems like. Uh, so he was getting no break between, uh, you know, the grind that Major League Baseball season can be. He was getting no break, and uh, he eventually had to step away. So that's why they made me coordinator of broadcasting. And with Oakland's move to the Horizon League, that timed up well with uh, all the games being broadcast on ESPN3. Local television has been brought into the mix now, so I do local TV, all the games on radio, and uh, that kind of begot me uh, doing the Pist. The Pistons reached out to me to fill in uh, last year in the preseason, and now they've used me as a backup from our champion, and that's where I sit now. And, Logan, it was a long road, man, uh, delivering pizzas at 31, 32 years old, grinding this out, trying to make it all work with a wife. Um, it was hard. It was really hard, but I, I was I was never going to be denied. Even to this day, I'm still hungry for that. I'll, I'll never stop. You know, I'll never be denied because that's that's what you have to do in this business because this business isn't easy. You don't, you don't go on a, a website job board and apply for jobs, and they take the best candidate. These jobs are all word of mouth, and, and anyone out there, and, and I've, you know, I've heard you talk to the Indiana Pacers play-by-play guy, everyone somewhere down the road has lucked into some stuff, and I've been very lucky, and, and that's where I am now. I'm making a living uh, off my voice, which is incredible to even think about. So one of the interesting aspects of what you your story is, your first play-by-play job outside of the Arena Football League that you did for free was at the Division One level. That's where a lot of yep. people have to kind of, you know, kind of grind and kind of go up through the traditional stepping stones of high school, small college first. Was there more pressure on you when you started at the University of Oakland, knowing that, you know, you probably got a lot of eyes on you saying, why didn't I get this job? Why is he more deserving at this point than I am? Did that add to the pressure of your broadcast career? 
you know what's funny is I never thought about it like that because I was going to be working alongside Mario Pemba. This is a guy that's won Emmy. This is a guy that you know, is the TV voice of the Detroit friggin' Tigers. You know, I mean, that's that's what had me nervous. And, and I'll never forget our, my first game that I ever did, professional broadcasting. Uh, Oakland, we were playing at Wisconsin, getting ready to go into the Cole Center. And it was about 3.30 in the afternoon, and we're sitting in the hotel and I'm physically ill. Like, I feel like I'm going to throw up at any moment because I'm going to go on the air with Mario and Pemba and, and work with him. And I had to call my wife, and she had to calm me down. And it, it was it was a grim scene, Logan. Looking back on it, now I laugh. But I was as nervous for that as I've ever been in my life. That will be the most nervous I ever be in my life about anything. I never really thought about why am I here versus somebody else? I just thought about, I'm working with Mario Pemba. I have to be a pro. And to throw more fuel on that fire, I'm doing color. As a guy, I mean, I played ball in high school and stuff like that, but I didn't play D1 or anything like that, so I had to immerse myself in film study. Uh, I developed a really good relationship with the coaching staff, so they would share scouting reports with me. I'd sit in on, on video sessions with the team as well. I had a very good relationship with the video coordinator, uh, James Helliger. He's actually uh, assistant coach at Saginaw Valley State now. Uh, they're in the Elite Eight of uh, the D2 tournament. Um, but I developed a really good relationship with him. He dropped film on me for, on a disc. I'd watch all the film. I became a student of the game. I became what I like to think was a pretty damn good color guy because I knew the game. And, and Logan, you guys, and people listening, you guys know this. You get analysts out there sometimes that they don't, they don't, put any work into it they just show up and tell you what they see they don't know any of the background to it i prodded myself on i knew everything that was going on away from the basketball because that's your job as a color guy and it made me a good play-by-play guy mario pemba uh has never taught me anything about how to speak or being a broadcaster but he taught me how to prepare and he taught me how to organize information so i have it at the ready each broadcaster out there has their own system i have my own system uh, but I, I know that info is right where I need it to be at all times. And going through all that, just it, it, it hardens you. It, it really does, and it, it goes into making you a good broadcaster. So when Mario and Pemba decided to move on and focus just on Major League Baseball, was there a competitive process for you to get moved up into the play-by-play chair, or was it just, you know what, I've built a good relationship with the coaches, the administration knows me, and it was just a natural step where they just moved you up without really opening it up? Yeah, it was the latter. Uh, there were times where Mario would have to step aside here and there to do some Tigers-related appearances. Uh, interesting story was the first two years I worked with Mario, he had to leave for spring training when we advanced to the NCAA tournament in 2010 and 2011. So I got thrust into doing the play-by-play, being the lead play-by-play guy for the NCAA tournament game. So, you know, it was it was understood. I, I'd been baptized by fire, so to speak, and, and I had a good relationship, obviously, with everybody at Oakland. So there wasn't really a competitive process to it at all. It was just seen as, as the next step, and it was understood that's what Oakland was going to do. And through Mario and I's relationship, too, I'm sure, and I don't know this to be a fact, but I'm sure he played a good hand in it, too, and said, hey, look, guys, you're going to be fine with this guy. So you went to Oakland University, where you now are the broadcaster. Certainly not a broadcasting factory. I believe they have a good journalism program. I'm not trying to hate on it or anything, but not a Syracuse or a Kansas where they just pop out uh, elite broadcasters. What were the advantages of being at a smaller school environment that you were able to take advantage of? Well, it's, it's because 
I felt the pride, and, th- and this is really beneficial in having me have been a student there. I want to build it into that, and I take a lot of pride. When, when I call my first NBA game, I'm sitting at the Four Seasons Hotel, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, because I've always thought about that angle. I, I want Oakland's journalism department to be this. I take a lot of pride in, in what I've accomplished in this field and, and have yet to still accomplish and, and stuff that I'm still going to grind on. And Logan, my goal is to get to the NBA as, as a full-time guy. And that's if, if God came down and said, we'll give you any job in the world, I would say I want to be the Detroit Pistons radio guy full-time. So, I mean, I, I've never lost sight of that, and that's why I always try to stay on the grind. But I've always wanted to turn Oakland's journalism department into into that. Now, obviously, it's not. Syracuse and it's not Kansas like you said but to me it is and I that's why I always want to go give back too and and go speak to the classes at Oakland and I'll speak to any college class anywhere and kind of give them a dose of grim reality because a lot of these a lot of these kids that come into the business now they think I if I do this for this long then automatically I'm entitled to the to be higher up and it doesn't work that way guys that are out there grinding guys like you guys that are listening to this podcast right now it doesn't work that way it's uh, a lot of it is happenstance, a lot of it is luck, and you you make your own luck through being ready, through being prepared, through grinding. And I try to I try to give that message to the kids out there and say, hey, you you will have to work for this more than you'll have to work for anything in your life. But if you want it, if you really want it, you'll make it. But you were able to get on the air right away. You had, uh, I believe, it was called the Real Deal Sports Hour. You were able to get on a webcast of um, of Oakland basketball. You know, you might not have been able to do that at least as quickly as you did had you gone to a broadcasting factory. How how important was that in your early development? Oh, there, there's no question. I, this is a reps-based business. Um, I'm a better broadcaster today than I was last week, and I was a better broadcaster last week than I was the week before, and I'll be a better broadcaster next week than I was today. And that's 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 the secret to this business. Everybody thinks it's hook phrases and, and making it a clown show sometimes and screaming into a microphone that's not it at all it's just doing it it's, it's having a producer in your ear talking to you while you're talking you you can only learn how to deal with that kind of stuff by doing it there's no other formula there's no other way there's no magical br- blueprint or anything like that reps games reps i'll call any game anytime anywhere any you know i do i do the tennis championships for the horizon league men's and women's tennis championships I don't care. I'll go do it. Is it out of my comfort zone? Yeah, it is, but I don't care. It's reps. There's something I'll learn from it. Something calling that tennis championship will make me a better broadcaster for the next time I do a basketball game. Reps, 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 games, games, games. you got to do them, man. It's a reps-based business. How often have you said no to somebody requesting that you cover a game? Never. Not one time. Not one time in my life have I, have I ever said no. And I don't, mean, I don't know how many times I've said yes, but that's, that's the biggest thing I think that has played into my you know, quote-unquote success as a broadcaster. I even did this when I was a, when I was a writer uh, at the Detroit Free Press. I never once said no. And now I would have to pick up a weekend shift delivering pizzas on a Saturday or a Sunday night when maybe I would rather not be working, especially not delivering pizzas. But that's what you have to do. And like I said, I was married at the time. I'd just gotten married, and, and my wife understood that this is how I was going to make it. You know, we, I, I grew up, I was the son of, of parents here in the Detroit area, and it's a lot like everybody else's story. My parents were factory workers in the car factories. Their parents were factory workers in the car factories. 
that I didn't want to do that. And it's no disrespect to them. I have a, a, a ton of respect for everybody that works in that field. That's what drives the world. Uh, you know, in the, here in the Detroit area, we, we always like to say that we drive the world, and that's a grind. I, I, I take that grind from them, and then I apply it to my craft. You know, like I said, I'm always grinding. I'm always trying to work on it. That's that's what I'm trying to do, man. I, I just I want to honor that grind that everybody else goes through too. I just that's not for that life wasn't for me. I ha, I have to do this, Logan. I'm not good at anything else. So I've talked to a couple of people who wanted to be writers and moved to radio in college or TV when they figured out that they didn't really like it and they didn't like the deadlines and they didn't like other aspects of the industry. But you did like it. You went into it. You worked at the Detroit Free Press. What did you learn from working at the Detroit Free Press that helped you as a broadcaster? Being a pro, you know, talking about that, you know, you mentioned deadlines and stuff like that. What makes you good on deadline is the same thing that makes you good in live fire when you're broadcasting, being ready. When I showed up to cover a game, I didn't just sit down and not know anything about what I was doing or, or what I was covering. I did background work on it. I, I knew what I was walking into, and the same thing with your spot charts and the research you do before you go into a broadcast. You know, it, it's all about being a professional. If you sit down and you're not ready, whether you're writing a story or whether you're, especially when you're behind a microphone, if you sit down and you're not ready, that will come out, and you can't hide from that. And people will know, and especially people that are listening that maybe, hey, we need to take take a listen to this guy and see is he legit or not. People will know right away if you're not ready, and I, I never want that to show. That's never going to be me, never. So I want to go backwards a little bit now. You talk about your days covering the Detroit Fury Indoor Football League team. <laughs> Going on the road, I'm sure there were some rickety old buses and some very, very uh, low-budget motel rooms. Give us some road stories covering basically minor league football. Uh, well, it's funny because the first coaching staff I was ever around, uh, Al Luganville was a coach, and he was a longtime coach at San Diego State. And people always ask me, he ended up coaching – uh, in the XFL, and his son is Tom Luganville, who was his assistant coach. As you guys know, he's uh, big in the recruiting game now for ESPN. And Al Luganville always told me the story about when he recruited Marshall Falk to, to San Diego State. And he said, here's this kid in Louisiana. He's a little bit undersized, and everybody wants him to come. You know, LSU wants him to come and be a safety, and all these SEC schools want him to come and be a cornerback or a safety. And I'm sitting here from San Diego State, and I'm sitting down with them. And he says, Coach, you know, I really want to be a running back. That, I see myself being a running back. And Al Luganville tells him, and he says, you can, if you come to San Diego State, you can, you, we'll give you the ball all the time. You'll, you'll start from day one as a freshman. And uh, a Hall of Fame plaque and a gold jacket later says that Al Luganville was right when all these other big-time coaches were wrong. And that's what I really loved about that, uh, the, the stories that you get like that. And, and Tom Luganville, who was uh, – quarterback's coach for the L.A. team that ended up winning the, uh, the XFL title that one year. And uh, Tommy Maddox was always around the program because he was the quarterback on that L.A. team. And, you know, just the – you'd be surprised, even through the Arena League, you'd be surprised the caliber uh, of player uh, that played in that game. And, and I equate that a lot to broadcasting too, Logan. You, people don't understand how fine the line is. Like a guy like Marcus Nash, who, who was a legend in college and – you know, he's playing in the Arena League and trying to grind it out and everything like that. The line is that thin, and the line is that thin in broadcasting, too, where a lot of it, quite frankly, Logan, and like we've talked about, it's luck. 
a lot of it is just being in the right place at the right time. I've been in the right place at the right time four times already. Uh, with you know being at Oakland, getting the job, Oakland's moving to the Horizon League, which coincided with a deal with ESPN3, and then the Pistons calling and having me do some Pistons games. But just being in the right spot at the right time, man, that's, that's what it's all about. What is the strangest broadcast location either in as far as your location inside the arena or the strangest venue slash arena that you've been a part of? Uh, I I love this story. Um, We were in Shreveport, Louisiana, and Oakland used to be in the Summit League with North Dakota State, South Dakota State, uh, Indiana, Fort Wayne, Indianapolis, Western Illinois, Oral Roberts down in Tulsa, and Centenary College in Shreveport, Louisiana. And since uh, since they've been in the uh, Summit League, they've moved actually to Division Three. So that gives you an idea of the type of facilities uh, <laughs> that they had down there in Shreveport. And there was literally a crowd of about twenty people at the game. And Mario and I are doing the game together, and everybody in the building can hear you. And and I've never understood this about broadcasting because I have a similar story about Chicago, which I'll get into in a second. I've never understood this about broadcasting. We can talk into this microphone and have tens or hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people hear what we say, and we never think another thought about it. But when the people at the building, at the game, can all hear you, it makes you so self-conscious. It's the weirdest thing, and I, and I can't figure it out. I don't know why that is. But when everybody in the building can hear you, it, it's just it's funny to me because everything you, you, you measure everything a little bit more, what you say. It, it's, it's really, really, it's a weird dynamic. I don't know why. And kind of a piggyback story to that. We were playing in the uh, Windy City Classic over Thanksgiving one time in Chicago. We were playing at the Sears Center, and we had the early morning game. This is one of those eight-team tournaments where they have a morning session and an afternoon session. We had the very first game of the day. It was the day after Thanksgiving, and we were playing Southern in Chicago. So, obviously, there's not anybody at the game. There's 20 people tops at the game. And I have a little crowd mic that I put out there, and I'm, and I'm calling the game. And our guy, who's an assistant coach right now, Drew Valentine is one of our assistant coaches. He's a brother, Denzel Valentine, at Michigan State. Drew Valentine's playing at the time, and he has a wide-open layup. We're, we're beating Southern by, like, 30 points. He has a wide-open layup, and he misses it. And I say in the, the broadcast, I say, oh, Drew Valentine misses a point-blank shot. I think he'll be the first one to tell you he should have had that one. And he's running back down, and he heard me say all this. And as he's running by the crowd, Mike, he goes, come on, Neil, don't do me like that, dog, and runs down and plays defense. Like those, <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget that story. I always tell that story. I, I love that story. That's the kind of character Drew Valentine was. But, uh, but you know, it's it's funny. I, I never understood that, man. We can have the hugest audience in the world, but if everyone around you can hear you, it bothers you for some reason. I don't know. I don't know if you guys ever get like that, but I do. I get like that. It's weird. You know, it actually happens pretty frequently to me. It usually happens during free throws, where the players are a little bit more. Not quite Funny as focused, yeah. and there's nothing going on. And I've had bad free throw shooters, and I'll just like read their percentage, say so and so struggles from the line a little bit. See if she can put these in, and they come up to me after the game. Come on, I miss those free throws because of you, but I always got a kick out of that. <laughs> exactly, man. It's it's a weird, weird dynamic. I don't know why that is, but it is. That leads into another topic that I really wasn't planning on going into, but it kind of makes some sense here. You know, players, relationships with players. You want to have a positive, cordial relationship with them where they're telling stuff 
to you and kind of giving you some inside information. But especially as a young broadcaster, you're probably out of that point by now, but how do you balance being friends with both players and coaches to the point where maybe you're hanging out off the floor? Is that okay? Is that not okay? What's your thoughts? I don't see why it's not okay. I mean, I've always equated it like this. The last three Thanksgivings I haven't spent with my family. I've spent with that team, with those players and those coaches. Last three Thanksgivings. Uh, this year, Easter, we'll be in Las Vegas. We're playing in that Vegas 16 tournament uh, at Mandalay Bay. I'll spend Easter with those guys. Uh, I, I, and I, have, I have a very good relationship. I've, I've never had a player that I haven't liked. Um, and the reason is I have a lot of respect for these guys, especially Division One athletes. And this is a whole other topic for a whole other day. They create a lot of revenue. Even at a place like Oakland, these players create a lot of revenue for Oakland University. And to do so, some of the times they're not in the most optimum situation. Now, I, I get it. It's a business, and I get paid to call these games, and everyone around us gets paid, and, and I get it. I do, 1,000%. I understand it. But I have a lot of respect for what these guys do. And fans don't, they don't know. They don't know the 6 a.m. grind in the gym, uh, going down in the weight room, lifting, practicing for two hours. Then they got to hustle over, choke down a sandwich real quick in the cafeteria, and get on the class and do trigonometry. Uh, fans don't get that. They just see what happens on the floor, and they don't know what goes on behind the scenes that got them to that point. So I, I've i always had a good relationship with everybody. I don't, I don't hang out with players, per se, like when we're on the road, but we'll do that from time to time. If, I, if I'm with a coach or whatever and you know we have some downtime, we'll get together and we'll hang out a little bit. We'll talk shop and we'll talk about college basketball. And you know, Logan, and this, is, this goes into kind of the backstory about what I was talking about before. This plays into your networking. And, and that's where you get your stories. That, that's where you talk about stuff on the air. Now, a lot, sometimes they'll tell you stuff in confidence. Obviously, you don't go there. You don't, you don't want to burn that bridge. You don't want to betray that trust. No question about that. But that's where I get a lot of the background stuff. Uh, we had a new assistant coach this year added to the staff, Deion Phelps. He was an assistant in Oklahoma when Blake Griffin was there. So we just talk about those stories, man. I ask him, what's that like? Why, you know, why is Blake Griffin so good? Tell me about his work ethic and, and all those types of things. And, you know, that's, that's, that shapes you as a broadcaster, those types of relationships, being around all those guys, seeing how, seeing the, the joker on the back of the bus and, and the guy that likes to cut it up with everybody. You, you need that as a broadcaster. You need to see that because the personality comes through on the court, so you're able to identify that to the listeners, and the listeners are the fans of the team. Now, that being said, Oakland pays my paycheck, so – Obviously, I'm going to see things a certain way. I'm, I'm employed by the team, so you know, I'm, I'm paid to see things a certain way. There's no question about that. But you know, I need those relationships, man. That's what that's what goes into making me a good broadcaster or any broadcaster. You need those relationships. You need that time off the court with the people that you're covering that you spend holidays with, not your family. Like I said, this year Thanksgiving and Easter are, are with the team and, and those coaching staff, not with my wife and kids. How do you balance you know, being positive towards your employer while still keeping your credibility by not being too over the top of a homer? Well, I can't tell you the ball went in the hoop when it didn't. Um, it, it kind of backs up to the stuff I talked about earlier. When you're being critical of officials, you can be critical if you stick to the facts. There's a very tight rope to walk uh, from that regard. Um, I, I talked to you earlier about the Drew Valentine story when he missed the wide-open layup. I said, you know, Drew Valentine missed a wide-open layup. I bet he wishes he had that one back. And that's, you know, the, the, that's the way that you do it. And 
I can't tell you the like I said, I can't tell you the ball went in the hoop when it didn't. I can't tell you that opens up by twenty when when they go to Syracuse and they're down by thirty at halftime. I can't I can't sugarcoat that for you. So I mean, you, you call you call a spade a spade. You know, what's happening on the floor is happening on the floor. My job is to tell you what's happening on the floor. So I just I deal in fact only. I, I don't get into opinions. I, I never get into a, this is what I would have done because. You know that coaching staff forgot more about basketball at lunch than I'll ever know in my life. So who am I to to be critical of a decision they made? My job is to just tell you the result of that decision. Another story I want to get into that I just happened to know through a mutual friend through your career is during the NCAA tournament when you were covering, I believe, as a color commentator, you got ran over by one of your players diving for a loose ball, and I remember seeing that on Sports Center. To where I don't know if they put that on not top 10 plays or if they just put it on the highlight reel or whatever, but I do remember seeing it and laughing when I found out that that was the person I was talking to at that moment. Take us through that moment, and did that publicity, did, did that have any effect as far as putting a positive spin on your career? Uh, well, it, I was actually doing play-by-play at the time because Mario Pemba was down in Lakeland with the Tigers uh, getting ready to do TV for spring training. So it was my show, and I was there, and I was Oh, show, show me to be prepared and be a pro. <laughs> no, but, no, that's, I mean, how would you know that? You weren't there. So we'll just, if we weren't there, and I don't think you listened that day, so we'll just do it that <laughs> way, Logan. But, uh, but anyway, see, I'm covering up for you. That's what good broadcasters do. Uh, but anyway, uh, Will Hudson is six foot nine and about 250 pounds, though chiseled rock i mean he is the the biggest hustler on the floor he's a guy that goes after every loose ball now at the ncaa tournament they do your radio position by seating so the higher seeds are closer to the middle of the floor and they fan out that way so i was a little bit further down i was probably even with the top of the key along the sideline and they were playing texas at the time oakland ended up losing that game by four i mean it was a really really good game and a ball popped free, and Will Hudson was running over for it. I saw it right in front of my table, and I knew. I, when I saw him running from the top of the key, I knew that this was coming. And all six foot nine, 250 pounds of him comes barreling onto the tabletop, going after the ball. So he lands right in my lap, essentially, and knocks the table over. Uh, the broadcast board gets knocked to the floor. I'm still on the air, though. Magically, it didn't get disconnected. The phone line stayed plugged in. There was a, a big, loud ruckus, obviously. Uh, and it took a couple seconds to get everything back situated, but yeah, he landed right in my lap. And yeah, it, the the Sports Center stuff. I mean, it's it's funny amongst your friends. I get a lot of texts from people and stuff like that. Say, hey, I just saw you on Sports Center laughing. Uh, I it, it is a positive spin. I mean, all all publicity is good publicity, right? I mean, anybody who who is going to listen to the game, or if it's going to make somebody listen to the game that might not normally listen, then it's good. And I've been lucky. I've been on. Uh, I've had multiple Sports Center top ten calls and been number one on Sports Center a couple times and called a buzzer beater where they cut into a Michigan Michigan State game on ASPN to show the replay of it. You know, I've had a lot of Sports Center quality moments because we've had a lot of good players at Oakland and Travis Bader uh, is the all-time three-point shooting leader in the history of the game, past JJ Redick, so that call got on Sports Center and now Kay Felder is a highlight reel every time he takes the floor, so. I've been lucky that I've had a lot of good offensive players to call that, that get me on Sports Center a lot. There's no question it helps because you walk, you run into somebody who talks. You know, you get to talking and stuff like that. They ask you what you do, and they say, "Oh yeah, you know, I saw you, I saw that play on Sports Center and stuff like that." So there's no question it makes an impact. So you mentioned earlier that you cover a wide variety of sports. Oakland doesn't have football. 
So you cover your kind of crown jewel is men's basketball, but then you do soccer, you do softball. You said you did the Horizon League tennis tournament. What preparation did you do for these sports that you maybe weren't so familiar with to get familiar with a sport? Because I actually was, I wrote a guest column for another friend of mine who has a broadcasting website about doing hockey for the first time when I knew diddly about the game. And I'm curious what other people think about that. Well, I've always been a guy that played a lot of sports growing up. And I've always been kind of a bigger guy, but I've always really stayed active in the sporting world. Like I, I did play tennis growing up in high school. We were actually a city. I was actually city's double cha- doubles champion. Uh, so I've exposed myself to a lot of sports. I played a lot of hockey as a kid as well. So I played some soccer also. So I'm familiar with, I have a broad knowledge base of the rules, uh, that's the good way. That's a good thing about the way I prepare for these games. I have a like it's basically essentially a Microsoft Word table that I paste a roster into, and then I fill in the columns and I color coordinate everything. I use that exact same setup for every single sport that I do. This year, I did a I did a year of arena soccer for ESPN three, the major arena soccer league here in Detroit has a team. So I, I did their games. Uh, as well. It's the same preparation for that as I use for baseball, as I use for soccer, as I use for softball, as I use for basketball. It's the same across the board. I've been doing this now going on uh, going on six years, and, and the preparation's always the same. It's just a lot of digging, a lot of finding out of information. And in terms of a game like arena soccer, I sat down, and obviously there's nuances to that game that I wasn't familiar with, but uh, you study up on it. It's like almost like for a test. And I've always joked about that because around this time I get, I do a lot of radio interviews uh, around NCAA tournament time because Oakland's reputation, we play all these schools. Like this year we played at Washington. This one's the highlight though, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Just wanted to make sure. Yeah. (laughs) But we play, we play at Washington. We play at Virginia. We play against Michigan state. I've been to Kansas, Syracuse, uh, Arkansas, every, I mean, everywhere, UCLA, Gonzaga, we've been everywhere in the country, every big arena in the country. So this time of year I get a lot of requests for radio interviews, and they'll say, hey, you guys, earlier this year you played Virginia. Tell me about Virginia. And I'm like, you know, I don't really remember, man. We crammed for that. I crammed for that exam and uh, called the game, and Malcolm Brogdon was great. And that's really – I know Dominique Wilkins' son plays there, but that was back in December. I've moved on since then. So, I mean, <laughs> you know how it is. You prep for these games. You cram for them, the game comes and goes, you're on to the next one. So take us through your preparation process. When does it start before a game? What are some of the particular pieces of information you're looking for, and when do you know that you're done and you're ready? Uh, basically when my chart's done. Uh, essentially, I, I, I first thing I do is, like I said, I'll, I'll paste that roster down, and then I'll start going to work on uh, the current stats. I fill those in in a certain color. Then I go to the website, I'll hit up their bios. If there's anything interesting about their bios that they've done in the past or high school or anything like that, I'll drop that in in a certain color. Uh, I'll look if we've ever, if we played them before, I'll look and see if, if what they've done the last time we played against them, I'll drop that in a certain color. Um, the season highs, the career high, I'll drop that in a certain color. Uh, then I'll, what, I, what I really do, and I talked about my relationship with our film guy, uh, I'm always taking the film guy out to lunch. Uh, whenever I can, he will drop a couple of their games on my on my iPad. And essentially, Logan, and Greg Campy said this originally, the head coach of Oakland, so I'm, that's why I'm not going to get in trouble for this. He said he's made his coaching career off of being a stealer and a shower, meaning he sees a play that he likes, he steals it, he shows it to his team, 
and then they run it. I, I let the other broadcasters do the work a lot of the time, um, you know, because I, I'm broadcasting to a different audience than, say, a national TV ESPN productions broadcasting. So I'll go back and watch the game, you know, pick up little tidbits that they talk about that I find are interesting. I'll put my own spin on everything, and, you know, the, my delivery, my style is kind of a mashup of all the Detroit broadcasters that I grew up listening to, like Ernie Harwell and Mark Champion and Mario Pemba, and you know, the list goes on and on. And I take every little thing out that I like about what they did, and I mash it all up into one big soup, and that's my brand of soup. How often do you self-critique, and I guess what else, since you kind of alluded to that, what else do you do to improve as a sportscaster you know, when you're not on the air getting reps? You know, Logan, to be honest with you, that's probably something that I don't do a good enough job of. If I have, if I have one critique, I'm happy with the way I call games. I'm not happy with the way I go back. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm not happy with the way I go back. I need to do that more. I need to do a better job of going back and listening. I started to do that this year. Uh, the, my radio producer at our station will drop the game in a drop box. And, you know, essentially if we, we leave the arena, we go to the airport and fly home. When we land, it's in the drop box. So I'll fire up the Bluetooth in the car, and I'll listen to this, the second half of the game driving home from the airport. So I, I have done a better job of that this year. And I try to, the same struggles that anybody else has as a broadcaster, you try to stay away from your crutch phrases. If you're maybe overusing a terminology to describe something in the run of action, if you're overusing it, try to come up with a new way to say it. That's critical. That's critical in getting better. Because here's the thing about this business. Everybody will always tell you how great you are. Your friends, the people you're around all the time. And they don't know. To them, you do sound great, and they're fans of yours, and they're friends of yours. So they're, you know, people aren't going to be negative towards you. You have to be your own biggest critic, and that's that's really, really what I've tried to do, especially with going back and listening to these games. They don't know what a good broad, you know, they don't know what a good broadcaster is supposed to sound like, and, and they don't know when I made a mistake. If you're a good broadcaster, you can cover up a mistake, especially on radio, and uh, nobody will be any of the wiser, but you'll know. And when I go back to that, I'll say, yeah, that's where I made that mistake. I wasn't, I, I couldn't quite remember what, what number that guy was. And everybody has that. You know, you, you'll even have a guy on your own team that you'll double clutch on their name. It happens to everybody once in a while. So, you know, just kind of go back, uh, identify the double clutches, all those types of things, identify the crutch phrases, and, and try to adjust and move on. A lot of broadcasters, especially at the young lore level, try to use catchphrases and come up with something unique and original that usually sounds out of place. You kind of had one come up organically. Your catchphrase, at least as far as I'm aware of, is, of course. And you, you kind of roll with that. Give us the story behind how you came up with that catchphrase, how you use it in games, and how you make sure you don't overuse it. Uh, yeah, well, it's it's a funny story. We were we were getting ready the year that Mario had stepped away. Uh, I was in North Carolina. We we're getting ready to play the Tower Heels, our first game of the season. My first game as the you know the voice of the Golden Grizzlies. They even wrote it up in the media guide on the game notes. And I remember looking at the game notes for that game, and they talked about Fox Sports South, uh, West Durham on the call, Radio 1130 AMWDFN, Neil Rule on the call, and th- there was my name under West. And everyone knows him, obviously. And I said, wow, that's that's really something right there. So I was kind of getting nervous a little bit. And uh, we were out to dinner uh, in downtown Chapel Hill. 
And my, uh, excuse me, my boss, my roommate, Scott McDonald, uh, we were we were discussing things over dinner, and he is big, and, and our office and our university is big on professional development. So you read a lot of books. You know, reading is the key. I'm not a big reader, and a lot of people in our field are, are not big readers as much as we're more audio-type people. So I like books on tape. So Jim Rohn, not Jim Rome, uh, the jungle, Jim Rohn, the motivational speaker, I would listen to his books on tape, and he, he has a very southern accent. And he would always say things in a funny way. And he had this one bit in one of his books where he said, would you rather be rich or would you rather be poor? Well, of course, you'd rather be rich. And so we were laughing about that. And I said, you know what I should do? And this was the time we had Travis Bader. I said, tomorrow when Travis Bader makes a three, I'm going to say, of course, after he makes a three. And I'm going to try it, and we'll see if it works. And if it sounds stupid, then we'll, we'll, we'll kill it, and we'll never use it again. But if it works, I'm going to keep using it only when Travis Bader makes a three because he's the best three-point shooter in the history of college basketball. And so we did it, and the fans loved it. They did. And they started showing up at the games with, of course, signs. The department put it on a, on a T-shirt. They put, of course, on the T-shirt. Do you have the one of those T-shirts? I, I do. Yeah, I do, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, the, the PA announcer says it now in the, in the building, and uh, it, it really has taken off. And, you know, with Tra- Travis loved it. He thought it was the greatest thing of all time, and, and now I've moved it on to Max Hooper. And the, the way I protect against overusing it is I just do it for the whoever the best three-point shooter is on the team. So that's the only time I use it. Now, Bader one time was 11 for 15 from three, but then people loved it and they wanted to hear it more and more. So as it grew, I remember Twitter started to, because ESPN cut into the game, and, uh, you know, he's made eight threes, nine threes, and he just kept saying, of course, of course, and everybody loved it. So it just it stuck. For whatever reason, it stuck. And I just kind of pulled that one out of thin air and tried it, and it worked. And you know, now there's T-shirts of it and everything like that. It's, it's, I laugh about it. Whenever I see signs or T-shirts or stuff like that, I laugh about it. You know, a lot of times people want to take pictures with, you know, holding their of course sign and everything like that. Now it's moved on. I use it for Max Hooper, and then next year there'll be another player I use it for. And it's really taken on a life of its own. Did you ever talk to Max Hooper, who got on Sports Center because he he either didn't make or I don't even think he'd shot a two point shot the entire Correct. season. Did you ever just say, hey, you need to like you know, get your nose in the paint, get an offensive rebound, and just try to get a two at some point? No. No, why would you do just that? Just jokingly, man? not seriously. <laughs> no, man, we don't even joke about that kind of stuff. He better not ever shoot a two-point shot unless it's to uh, unless it's to win a game or something like that. He better not, he better not ever shoot a two-point shot. He's he's going to go down in the history books, man. Over two hundred twenty-three point shot attempts with zero two-point shots. I just I can't believe he hasn't accidentally stepped on the line. We had a review. Uh, about two weeks ago, where the official reviewed it to make sure his foot wasn't on the line, and the whole crowd in the arena was holding their collective <laughs> breath. And then uh, the official called it a three, and every, it, it, the place just erupted. It was pretty funny. So you better not ever shoot a two, ever again. Who are your favorite broadcasters to listen to? Give us a couple big names that everyone knows, but also maybe a couple below-the-radar type of people that are local in the Detroit area or just that you'd listen to through some point that others might not have heard of. Well, obviously, Mike Tirico is as good as it gets, and, and he's a guy that he does that full platform. NBA basketball, college basketball, Monday Night Football, does the golf, the British Open, uh, all that type of stuff. He, he's really a do-all guy and really a nice guy as well. I got the chance to meet him 
uh, just a couple weeks ago at the Horizon League uh, basketball championships. And uh, he really is a really nice guy, and I'm, I'm, I admire him. I admire the job he does, what a pro he is. Uh, my favorite play-by-play guy is Kevin Harlan. Uh, Kevin Harlan's great, man. I, he just he does it right. He, he, he gets excited at just the right time to get excited, but he keeps it even keel, too. Like, his excitement, he doesn't make it a clown show. You know, he, he gets excited when it's the time to get excited, and then he keeps it even keel the rest of the time. He's, he's my favorite, man. I, I love listening to Kevin Harlan. He's another guy does the NBA, uh, does Sunday night football on the radio, sometimes Monday night football. I, uh, I really enjoy listening to Kevin Harlan. And then the guys around here really shaped me. Um, as a boy growing up, uh, George Blaha, who does Pistons TV, he was the radio guy and TV guy. They used to simulcast the games uh, when I was a younger boy. And uh, Ernie Harwell, two of the greats in the game. I mean, these guys are Hall of Famers. We, we're really lucky here in Detroit. A lot of people might not realize that the level of broadcast that we have here, but think about this. You have Mario Pemba doing TV for the Tigers, one of the best in the business. You have Mark Champion that does radio for the Pistons, Long time, did the Lions for a long time, too, the voice of the Disney commercial for the Super Bowl. You just won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do next? That's Mark Champion that does that. You've had Ernie Harwell as well in this town. I mean, you've really had the best of the best. And I remember as a little kid, and I actually told George Blaha this when I met him a couple of years ago. I said, George, if you know how many times I was listening to the Pistons game, you know, you guys were in Denver or Los Angeles or something like that. Well, my parents thought I was asleep, and I had the radio tucked under the pillow, and it was turned up just loud enough just so I could hear it. If you'd have known how much trouble that you would have gotten me into, you know, you, you probably would look back on that and laugh. And he, he had a funny comeback for it. He said, well, don't worry, I'm never going to tell your parents that. So, you know, he was uh, he's a really nice guy, too, and uh, even better broadcasters. But Ernie Harwell, man, best of the best. Ernie Harwell could do radio and not talk, and it was awesome. I still don't know how he does that, and, and I still struggle with that from time to time when I'm doing TV. Uh, you know, that's been one of my biggest challenges is, is moving to TV from radio because you got to let it breathe a little more. Ernie Harwell could not talk on radio, and it was awesome. You know, go into that a little bit more. You talked about making a TV broadcast breathe. What other difficult parts about the transition from radio to TV are there, and I guess, what have you done to improve? Do you feel like you've improved over time? Yeah, I mean, again, just going back to the whole rep space thing, the, the more you do something, obviously, the better you're going to be at it. Uh, the live fire is the toughest thing about doing TV. You have a producer in your ear that's talking about the next graphic that's coming up. You know, hey, we got a, a, a Max Hooper uh, shot chart graphic coming up next. Work this in. While I'm describing the missed shot and the rebound. So as they're coming back up the floor, and I'll say, you know, Max Hooper obviously will be a target on this possession. You take a look at his shot chart while the game's going on. And that, that's the biggest thing is, is learning to talk, thinking ahead and talking behind. You formulate what you want to say, and then you talk it. And while you're talking it, you just let it go and take your brain and go on to something else while you're finishing up talking. I almost equate it to uh, reading a defense. If you're a Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or somebody like that, you're almost – you're almost reading the defense and, and moving on to your next read before you even wrapped up that that receiver's not open. That's what you have to do in TV. It's, it's a different animal. There's no question about it. And the, the picture tells the story. You have to let the picture tell the story. As to radio, you're telling, you're creating the picture. So there's two separate cadences to it. There's no doubt about that. It's, uh, it's, a, tough, it's a tough thing to master. I've got two years of television now 
under my belt, so I'm, I'm getting better at it. But I, I still think I'm better on radio than I am on TV. Do you enjoy one more than the other? I, I, I enjoy radio more just because of the stories I told you growing up, listening to the guys uh, you know, when I was laying in bed and stuff like that, and hearing the hot dog guy in the background and, and picturing, you know, having gone to games at Tiger Stadium, picturing myself sitting in the seat and really taking in the picture that Ernie Harwell is trying to paint or George Blaha or whatever announcer I'm listening to. I've always been partial to radio like that. Plus, Logan, you don't got to put on any makeup. You know, you, <laughs> you can just you can wear a sweater vest and a tie. You don't have to suit it all down and everything like that. Radio is a lot easier. Let's just put it like that. All right, so at the end of most of these podcasts, at least when I've remembered to do it, uh, I've had everybody say, grade the podcast. This is selfishly for me to get better, and it's also to help other people get better through example, learning from you know, how I do these interviews, I guess, or where I screw up. What do you like and what do you not like? Uh, about the podcast, um, it, this, is, this is what a tough balance is when you're doing interview, when you're doing an interview show. Uh, I get the chance to fill in for ESPN Radio sometimes and do talk radio, so this is something that I struggle with myself is it, knowing when to, if, if a guest is being too long-winded, I, I felt like maybe a couple times I was too long-winded in some answers. Don't be afraid to muscle in there, man, and say, hey, okay, let's move on. Um, so you, you're kind of – sometimes if you're an interview, though, you're at the mercy of, of what your guest is trying to say. And like I said, it's a, it's a really tough line to walk. So don't be afraid to cut me off next time, Logan. I, I will say that. Nobody, nobody wants to hear me. It's your podcast. Uh, that's the whole point is that they do want to hear you. Nobody tunes in to listen to me. <laughs> uh, obviously, that's very different If on my sports talk show that I do once right. a week. It's a little different when it's 10-minute clips – Here's a podcast. Right. We could go on for two hours if we wanted, but uh, you probably have better things to do. Um. Well, no, I, I always, I'm always, I always love talking about the craft. I love talking about the profession. I'll, I'll never say no to anybody that ever wants to talk. And any broadcasters that are out there, you know, look me up on Oakland's website if you want to send tape, uh, short MP3 or whatever. You know, look me up on Oakland's broadcast. Email me that stuff. I'm, I'm always willing to help, and I'm, I'll never forget. I know. Like I said, Logan, I know what it's like to deliver pizzas to, to make it work so you can afford to call games to get to where you want to be. I'll, I'll forever be grateful of where I am, but I'm also always going to be hungry for where I want to go. So how do people get in touch with you? You said they can find your email on the Oakland website. Do you yeah, want people yeah, to follow yeah. you on Twitter? And do you have anything sure. that you want to take this moment to shamelessly promote? You know, I'm not like that. You can follow me on Twitter, at Neil Rule. That's N-E-A-L-R-U-H-L. It's just my name. I try to keep things very simple. If you want to email me some tape or whatever, that's rule at oakland.edu. So it's R-U-H-L at oakland.edu. Send it to me. I'll definitely give it a listen. Um, Got some soccer stuff coming up. There's a – and, Logan, you've been to this area before. I know that. Uh, I don't know what you know about uh, DCFC, Detroit City Football Club Soccer. But uh, I'm starting another season up with them, and this is a semi-pro soccer team that packs in about six or seven thousand people per game. And the, the fans, the Northern Guard fans, they just lose their mind. So I'm really excited to do another summer of that and uh, do some fishing and actually see my children for a change. So I'm just I'm winding things down right now. We'll be in the Vegas 16. You can hear those games on WDSN AM 11:30 on the iHeartRadio app on your phone as well. So. And, and that goes both ways. Everybody that's out there listening, give it a listen and shoot me an email. Tell me what, what I don't do well, what you think I do well, because it's the only way we're all going to get better, man, is if we tell each other. Of course. <laughs> there you go, my friend. You owe me uh, 27 cents for that. <laughs>
Okay, once again, I want to thank our podcast guest here on the Say the Damn Score podcast, Neil Rule. He is the voice of the Oakland Grizzlies uh, in the suburbs of Detroit. And, Neil, thanks so much for joining us here today. Uh, anytime, man. Like I said, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I listen uh, every time that I get the opportunity. And I'm, I'm always there, man. Give me a call. I'll always come on and talk with you. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the podcast today. You can follow me on Twitter at Radio underscore Logan. Certainly, we always appreciate when people retweet the podcast uh, and get my listeners to the 20s instead of just the 10s. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe to our email updates at the top of this page. And you can follow the podcast and the site on Facebook at facebook.com slash say the damn score. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I'm Logan Anderson, and remember next time you're on the air to say the damn score.